0: This is Death Before Dishonor. I'm Genesee. My character is Xanatari. She's a good-aligned Kalishtar war priest.
1: I'm Daniel. This symbol is renowned for being associated with the Rod of Orcus, the artifact that I'm after. I'm Eric.
2: My, my name is, is Caesar. I was a, a slave worker for the uh, Undead Armies of Thay for 75 years. And I'm Tinsian. Shall we start this over again? Some of the (laughs) beauties of D and D can't end the story. Goes anywhere you want it.
0: Welcome to Death Before Dishonor, episode eighty-two recap resumes part two. Now, some of you may be getting tired of the recaps, and we still have one to go, which is also very long. So, for you, we will be releasing a regularly scheduled new episode this Friday. So this is the second half of the first recap, and then we have another one coming out later this week as well, and a new episode that I will release for you on Friday. So I hope you enjoy this, and hard work by Rabbit as usual, and a big thank you to him. And you can find us uh, at Death Before Dishonor on iTunes, and I have a note about that. On iTunes, we've been getting some bad reviews lately from people who've listened to this show about one time and are displeased with the fact that it is not a completely um, by the book D&D representation and a little more house rules and a little more kind of mix between <laughs> Pathfinder and other versions of D&D and more of a story mode theater of the mind selection. I think we've been pretty clear about that from day one. Uh, in the show, and hopefully you're enjoying that format. We may at some point in the next campaign move to a strictly Pathfinder legit format where we are more strict about the rules, and I think we've been getting stricter as time goes on. But for those of you who do listen regularly and who like the show very much, I would appreciate if you would go and take a second to leave an iTunes review, because frankly, it irks me that somebody who's listened to the show once will take three minutes to write a negative review. But many of you who love this show and have been wonderful listeners and loyal listeners, uh, there aren't a lot of reviews there from you. So if you would like to combat the trolls and take up your sword of justice, please go to iTunes and leave a review. It only has to be a few words or whatever you want to say. But I think um, we work very hard and it, it bothers me to see... You know, a negative review or two on iTunes, and not a whole lot of others that are positive, but it seems to be a well-liked show by the number of listeners. So let us know that, and help us keep our heads up and feel a little loved this holiday by leaving that review, and that would help us a lot. So I hope you enjoy this second half of Recap uh, with Rabbit, and a regularly scheduled normal new episode will come out for you on Friday and you can always find us on twitch.tv.com slash if you'd like to hear us record live at 10.30 Eastern Time on Fridays. So you're welcome to do that and I hope you enjoy the second half of the recap and if you are not a recap fan just wait until Friday. See you then.
3: You are invited to sit down. The Vizier hand, you know, extends a uh, very well-ringed well-appointed hand to you and invites you to take it.
0: I would be less hesitant than I believe Cesar has been. Because I don't really know what he is. Uh, other than he's creepy. So okay. I think I would take it. And
3: Okay. Your uh, <coughs> psychic block does not kick in. Um, okay. But uh, same series of questions towards
2: you.
0: Uh, being a tar. Xanatari has a dual soul, which means that um, the Kalashtar are humanoid race, and they have um, half a soul from their humanoid race and half a soul from the Quarry. The Quarry are spiritual beings that ended up a long time ago, kind of melding with the Adar. And um, the way that works is that the same-sex parent will pass down the spirit of the Quarry and all of their knowledge to their same-sex child. So in my case. I do have a brother and my father has passed down his spiritual heritage knowledge to him and I've gotten mine directly from my mother. So Xanatari is a lot closer to her mother than she is her father. Um, She's the one who trained her in fighting styles and basically raised her uh, almost exclusively. Uh, Xanatari has two motivations. Because she has this collective heritage of memories from a quarry thousands of years ago she feels a selfish need to add to those memories uh from her own experiences so she's out in the world hoping to kind of put those aside uh use them but put them aside and add to the collective memories uh, make her mark on the things that are going to be passed down to her daughter so she's trying to experience new things by leaving the society going out into the world and uh Fighting the darkness, and that's the second motivation for Zanatari. Uh She is a a war priest and a devotee of the Quattrai, which is the god of the Kalishtar. And the Quattrai kind of manifests for her as a storm god. That's the aspect that speaks to her the most. So the belief, her belief, is that the evil in the world is trying to prevent the age from coming to an end and turning over into a good and uh, joyous age. And so for her to go out and do good works and to help people and to um, make a difference, that helps to continue the age and make the age turn over so that the next age will be much more pleasant than this current one. The, the bad thing about that, the dark cloud on that, is that once this age ends and the next age of of plenty begins, the Quartari, which is the current god of the Kalishtar, will implode and explode. And so she will lose the storm god who she serves right now, and a new Quartari will be created. So it's sort of a double-edged sword in the sense that she is working towards helping this age turn over, but at the same time she has a lot to lose when it does. For her, the, the Kalishtar are very tall and sort of angular and very mind connected and mental, a lot of mental going on there. And to encounter the party currently is a very different change for her. Um, She doesn't really have the back and forth mental discussions and mental clarity that she has with her own people. Um, She's encountering people that look a lot different and have different uh, alignments than she's used to per se. And so she's out there, you know, hoping, hoping to make a name for herself, hoping to bring something back of value to add to the collective memories of the Kalashtar.
3: Okay. Does she in any way see herself as a conqueror, a leader, uh, something like, you know, the, a pinnacle of power?
0: Uh, Not a leader. She hopes someday when she's old to be regarded as an elder and to have uh, the others and the children come to her to seek her wisdom and have that kind of respect. Uh, So she wants to go back there having earned that respect, and that's what she looks forward to kind of at the retirement age when her adventures are over.
3: Is she she willing to do stuff that uh, requires climbing on other people's backs?
0: No, I wouldn't say climbing on other people's backs, but I would say that she's learned by being with the party that... Uh, she that things are not necessarily as black and white as she has known in the past. Sometimes certain actions don't fall under the good nor evil category, and so uh, some of the antics of Cesar, she, she's undecided on how to, to classify and to deal with.
2: Okay.
3: Now, what if Xanatari had none of these things? You know, she doesn't gain... You know, she's going to gain memories, but what if the memories she gains aren't, the, you know, the best? She's got nothing really to show for it. By the time she reaches retirement, you know, she hasn't made a mark on the world. You know, what what where's Anatari and that sort of thing?
0: Well, to sit down and do nothing would be, in her mind, surrendering to the Dreaming Dark and basically just helping to fight against her people. So she would never do that. She would go out and seek uh, minor tasks that could be done. Most likely, she would go out and uh, try to do what she could, but she would probably die. uh, Mm -hmm. If she she didn't have the party and if she wasn't uh, on a quest right now, she would probably try to solo something that was well beyond her ability and die.
3: Okay. Now, you bring up the party. Uh, As before, how do you view the party?
0: Xanatar looks at Mithrin as though he's very familiar. Um, She can sense his good intentions and his um, pure uh, attitude. She does feel like at some point they may butt heads, and she's a little bit wary of the fact that somehow she's been elected de facto leader of the party, and she feels that he's a very strong personality, and at some point they may have a disagreement on where they're headed next. So she is aware of that, but at the same time understands his motivations and feels familiar with him. Uh, as far as Cesar, she has no concept of what slavery is or that people could do that to another person and really it's more of an abstract concept for her so she doesn't really have understanding of where he's from mm-hmm. um, she kind of sees him as a mischievous you know those elders that that you have that kind of uh, begin to have aging minds and uh you know you can imagine as a in a culture where there's a mental connection that Sometimes the banana squirrel, funny, funny hat is things that come out of people's minds. So so she does regard him as possibly aging to the point where some of his stuff is just uh, odd. Um, But she is taking some of his actions and studying him. She did play along with his ring theft and uh, is beginning to maybe gray some of her perfect good intentions uh as far as thorn she has a very uh strong attraction and repulsion to him at the same time because he's extremely different than anything she's ever encountered before he's smelly and wolf-like and uh you know he's not one of the the calistar guys run around without shirts a lot and they have billowy clothes and and you know they're very (laughs) tall and angular and he's very much not that um and he's saucy and all the other things that uh he's kind of an enigma to her so he fascinates her. But at the same time, she doesn't understand his thievery or his kind of selfish attitude and his loner uh, persona. So she has a very, uh, I guess, love-hate relationship with him right now.
3: There is, as your hand is released, a slight rumble of thunder in the back of your mind. There is nothing taken from you. Uh, Your thing doesn't... uh, Fire off, your power doesn't fire off. Bert still seems, you know, agitated, but he's been agitated for a while now. And you're told that your counting is complete, you have passed examination, and you too have an appointment.
4: Alright. Well, uh, before I approach the chair, I'd like to take out the my storyteller staff and mm-hmm. have that in hand. And I'd like to come up to the chair and, and look at the mind flare and say, I see you. I'm not taking your test.
3: Okay. The vizier nods and looks the staff up and down. Looks you up and down and looks at the others and then looks back to you. You have passed the examination. You have an appointment at the loom. And from what I sense, perhaps from this meeting, you have found some inner strength that you have been searching for on your quest. There is... The Vizier gestures uh, kind of lists, for those that you can see it, uh, it's the heavily chained hand that can only move a little bit. There's a gesture made, and a Minotaur um, appears to be a reasonably good station compared to the others, approaches you, bows, and says that he is going to accompany you to your next appointment. And stepping out of the area right around the mind flare you can all feel, with the exception of Thorn, who simply is somewhat minorly cognizant that there's a glitch in the system, you can feel that the illusion of the area wants to try and resert itself, uh, more just kind of as a bit of window dressing, but it's not an obligatory or mandatory thing. Um, it's not a mind wiper, any of those sorts of things. You are soon brought before another nice looking building. This one is set very deeply into uh, the rock face and is protected by a uh, pair of minotaurs on the outside and a clear series of wards along the outside door openings and the building itself. There's carved out uh, symbols and what appears to be writing large ones that have been placed around the door jamb and also at various parts of the wall these are appear to be wards of protection um it also looks like there's a something to do with securing doorway you sort of notice as you look up deep in the shadows a large number of white strands probably about the hand size of uh grapefruit balls grapefruit or a ball in terms of thickness so there's like these cables that go into holes in the wall of the building
2: where do they run from there like they go from the building to where um up towards the ceiling
3: and there's some sort of series of paths and walkways and uh Bits okay. in- for moving stuff around the city. The cables are moving as if something yep. is pulling the uh, the strands into the building, but it mm-hmm. does not appear to be a um, enclosed container for transportation of those items. So the-,
2: so the cable itself is being sucked into the building.
3: Yes. Okay. It uh, does appear in- to be some form of uh, silk. Like a natural silk. Okay. okay. Yes.
2: I think we may have arrived
3: at the loom. The Minotaur takes and uh presents you in front of the guards in front of the loom building, and you are granted access. Stepping in, uh there's a short little walkway and you it opens up into quite a large room. Think uh probably about four to six hundred feet long maybe 150 foot wide, uh, very tall ceilings. The uh, silk from outside comes into the building and is put into a series of rollers and separators. Mm-hmm. There's some degree of mechanical work here. There's some degree of people just standing around trying to make sure that things don't get snagged kind of thing. But it takes these large bundles of silk and splits them out into uh, many individual smaller uh, threads of silk. And then they are fed into a large number of rather gigantic uh, loom machines, the manual looms, Mm -hmm. except these have some automation and a bit of steampunk aspect to them. These these are taking in such a, a, a vast quantity of material but what comes out on the other end of the belts are things of various and dif- different sizes. So there there seems to be an inordinate amount of loss somewhere for the amount of silk going in. But the items that are coming off the back have sort of a latent magical charge to them.
0: What sort of items?
3: Uh, in some cases, clothing, um, lots of what appear to be capes. You are left momentarily in the presence of a gnome that is sitting in front of one of these looms. And he checks to make sure first that you are indeed, you know, the people that are supposed to be there. And then he asks you if you are all of the same trade house or not.
1: Yeah, well, we are kind of a party and we did just get processed by the vizier. uh, Yep, Yep, we are.
3: And he wants to know what the symbol of the trade house
1: is. The key to represent the thief aspect of me. Uh-huh. In the middle there is the storytelling staff of yep. Mithrin. Okay. Okay. The blade for Zenitari, oh. and that then the good. book for our artificer, Cezzle. I would prefer a cog. See, I didn't do anything rude. I, yeah, we can change it. A, a cog. You, you, I'm more than would, happy to do a cog. You'd prefer a what? A cog.
2: Cog. Yeah, cog, okay. G-, g-, g. You can make the cog the background of the three things crossing rather than below. That way it's more... Yeah, if you want me to do
1: that, I can do that.
3: Having done your sketch and showing it to the gnome, he nods and begins to... turns around and begins to start focusing very intently on the loom. After about 10, 15 seconds... Bloom starts to clatter and work and make sort of this rather, I guess, over-the-top-sounding whirl and just mechanical nightmare of bits and pieces moving, and somehow it all keeps, keeps going. The gnome turns around and looks at everyone in the party and goes, well, that shall handle for the overall trade house, but each of you are still required your own documents. Thorn? Mm-hmm. When this is all said and done, um, it appears that a small flag, well, probably uh, well, a piece of cloth that's about a foot by a foot is spit out from the loom, mm-hmm. and on it is the symbol, that common minotaur symbol that has been viewed on every bit of one of these flags to date. However, in... The mouth of uh, the Minotaur symbol. There appears to be a uh, rod of some kind that it's holding. Alrighty. And on the cloth, uh, the gnome holds it up and shows it towards you, and then sends it off towards um, sort of sort of kind of like a a wiring, hanging conveyor belt. That it's got various hooks on it with clips, clips the um, cloth to it, and sends it off where it seems to be heading towards a dye tank, and it goes through and is colored and looks like it'll be it'll be back at some point soon. Okay, Xanatari.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Based upon what you told the Mindflayer, and only what you told the Mind Mindflayer, what would you view as being the prominent symbol that it would come out with? based upon uh, that information.
0: I'm going to think something to do with connection. So I'm going to say, uh, like, two circles, the line between them, facing okay. vertically, so it doesn't look like a barbell, like this, okay. between the horns.
3: Cesar. Yes. This one comes out with the minotaur symbol, as standard, but one of the eyes is a cog. Okay. Pieces of cloth are eventually returned to the gnome. And he sort of wrings them out and turns around and starts shaking uh, any little bits of moisture left. It seems to dry. each seems to dry extremely quickly. Within 30 seconds, they are dry. But on the front of them, at some point on the same side as the minotaur head, there's a silver sort of puddle of fluid that seems to be racing around the surface of the cloth. He's holding the um, piece of the cloth like you would uh, so that it, it's facing towards you. But the, the silver stuff is still moving around, sort of defying gravity um, in responses so far to what's going on. Within the threads, it seems to be imprinted with small runes um, that you have to look very carefully at um, under normal circumstances. Uh-huh. but right now you can see them forming across the surface of the cloth. Uh, strength, protection, uh, you get the feeling that there's some warding going on to this to prevent tampering at a later point. The last action however of the pool is that it goes and at some point on the face of each fabric, different spots for everyone, a number or uh, series of some sort of script appears that is different for each fabric, at which point the runes mostly vanish, with one rune of uh, an anti-tamper rune being the last thing that seems to fade away. So the gnome hands each of you one of these fabrics and bids you welcome to the city, explains that this is your license, for lack of a better term, It solidifies your citizenship within the city. It marks you a member, um, as far as legal rights and responsibilities and so forth. But it should make your movement around the city somewhat less complicated. The loom finally sort of kind of winds down a little bit, uh, heaves a couple puffs of magical purple smoke and different colored smoke, and out comes a large familiarly sized um, piece of fabric that is the flag. Uh, the Minotaur returns and congratulates you quite extensively and informs you that you are to uh, raise your flag whenever you are in the city, either one of you or all members of you. The flag should, under most circumstances, or could remain in the city under care and will be uh, returned. Or you can take it with you, but it is viewed as a courtesy and also sort of the Minotaur kind of smirks, a challenge to others that they may not want to rest on their laurels. Long story short, you're able to go outside and the flagpole where uh, the giant, the giant's flag was pointed out when you're coming into the city is empty and you are directed to attach your flag to this flagpole. There is, in addition, a um, slight modification to the flagpole from when you were last here, in that there is a sword that has been placed, sort of like a two-handed uh, greatsword, mm-hmm. at the, with the, the tip of the sword buried into the circular ball part of the flagpole at the top.
2: Cesar asks the guard, what's that sword mean?
3: It's a marker that you have
1: earned your place through combat.
0: We did? When did that
1: happen? Maybe they think we slayed the giant when we brought his flag in. You hear
3: from behind you, uh, towards the gate, a loud, booming voice. Guillermo! Guillermo! Where are you? They said that you were out here. To which... The Minotaur looks back and goes, I believe your questions are about to be answered. Guillermo the Minotaur spins his head around and uh, turns his body and begins to march forcefully back towards the gate. People paying attention would notice that he has apparently unbuckled the uh, clasp holding his sword in place at his side. Emerging from the gate... It's still very dark in there, but there is the loud express howl of a wolf, in addition to the shouts for this minotaur. It is a much deeper-sounding wolf call, and it sounds quite plainly vicious. Emerging from the gate after a moment is a very giant figure, somewhere along the lines of four stories tall, and... This figure has a layer of skirts, pleated, uh, some degree of boots, and is wearing what appears to be an assortment of ill-fitted male armor. At her heels is an extremely large wolf, uh, perhaps a dire wolf. It is kitted out with what appears to be some sort of riding harness. It has battle spikes on the harness as well. And this thing is absolutely near rabid with just the anger and the countenance and the hairs on the back of its body. The, you know, the hackles are all standing up. Ears are just, it, this thing is pissed Is pissed, and about the only thing holding it back, you guesstimate is the fact that this, uh, figure is standing there with it the figure is now shouting and screaming at the figure of guillermo as he moves forward and she's shouting in very strong kind of commanding but also you sense a bit wavering tone um that something about her having waited a oh. week outside that damn building and how dare he not keep his pledge to let, uh, let her know when, you know, everyone has emerged. To the party's knowledge, and I'm not going to make a perception check for this, you've only been there at the city for far less than a day. The Minotaur, Guillermo, stops about 20 feet from the giantess. And sort of puts his arms wide uh, away from his hips. He's clearly unbuckled his sword. He has not made a motion to hide that fact. But he has his hands away at the moment. And he offers sort of a a short... um, Offers kind of like a short little bow. More of a head nod. uh, Kind of the similar nod given before you all presented money back uh, outside the gates okay. a little while ago. And you can hear in a loud reply to her, uh, my lady, you know how the protocols are for the city and for what must be, and you were not uh, in the position where you needed to be alerted to where uh, these people are. And, you know, there is not much else that we can do to help you at this point in time. I do not m- wish to be rude, and nor does the city wish to, to be rude to you, but um, you've always prided, prided yourself on these certain protocols. And, you know, he's kind of got this in the snorty, huffy, uh, kind of minotaur voice. And she pretty much looks like she wants to strike him down.
1: Obviously, Jack, I would like uh, to one uh, interrupt to see whether I can help solve the issue.
0: Yes, Thorn (sighs) helps solve so many (laughs) fights. He's just known throughout the region as a peacemaker.
3: I'm rubbing my hands based upon what I'm seeing in the video.
1: Might as well just zero. I got a one. Oh, great! Yeah, you did. Oh, the critical critical failure. Thorn, flexible. Yeah, you
3: start to open your mouth and something comes rolling out in a language that you were not apparently aware that you spoke but it is akin to something along the lines of perhaps the one of the greatest swear words and attention getters that the multiverse and perhaps even the inner planes and maybe even one or two neighborhoods of hell in the abyss <laughs> oh god might recognize as What? (laughs) Somewhere along the line, a couple of lantern archons (laughs) up in the celestial heavens had their flames snuffed out. The dog, the wolf, behind the lady, has perhaps heard something so offensive to its ears that it is, like, beyond the worst dog whistle and charges at you. However, you may perhaps be saved because Fluffy intercepts this wolf and jumps on it into... and they sort of start rolling around having a rather large fight. Oh
1: god. No. No. It
3: is, however, in short order, discovered that you don't bring a spider to a wolf fight. (laughs) And Fluffy is not only decapitated... But is ripped segment to segment into shreds.
1: I'm actually really bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I <laughs> actually, I've actually got two years. This is bad. <laughs> it is bad. All right. Yeah, I was actually really attached to that spider. All right. Um. Yeah. Moving on. You
3: do have to sort of realize, though, that normally, Fluffy, you've had to be buckled into the harness for him to do anything for you. And this Mm. is actually Fluffy responding of its own free will and putting itself in its path.
0: Fluffy loved you. He loved me.
3: She seems to be a mix between the party and the flagpole. And she screams towards them, killers. There they are. I want to respond. Before you were able to say anything, and as you are saying it, Guillermo shouts back at her, that they may be, but they are citizens, which nearly causes the giantess to shudder and shake, and there is an explosion of light probably 20 feet from the party in the direction that she is pointing. Man. So,
0: you're just saying she was blowing off steam or she was trying to hit us?
3: Probably thought that she was trying to hit, but um, what Guillermo said apparently stunned her enough that threw her off aim. Are they vampires? Did they manage to even steal the power? What is this?
0: I'm going to yell really loud to everyone and I'm going to scream Be quiet! and try to stun her into shutting up and listening to what we have to say. Yeah, I would rather look to Cesar and do the same thing. Like, Cesar, give it to me.
2: Cesar gives it to her.
0: All right. And then I would look at her, I would hold up the ring, and I would say, We found him dead. We brought his flag. We brought the ring.
3: There's a pause and sort of a low growl from the wolf as it reacquires the party. Kind of... I'd
1: like to growl back at the wolf. Okay, if I may.
3: Go ahead. Are you in human
1: form or razor claw? I will shift for this. Okay, which is a minor action. Okay. Oh, hold on. Wait, no. Uh, I use not razor claw shifting um, because that turns me more werewolfy. I will actually use body of the wolf, which is an at will minor action.
3: All right. And what are you attempting to convey in your growl back?
1: I love the spider, and know it's dead. Sorry. So, um, yeah, uh, a challenge. A challenge. He said, you know, uh, I'd like to convey the fact that he just killed a member of my pack, and I want vengeance. The
3: snarling response that you get from the wolf is that this one death does not equal the two that you have caused. The giantess, having heard what Xantari said, and then the... Not understanding, but seeing the shift and then the, um, the exchange between the two, the two wolves, um, seems like she is about to lose her mind. They've even managed to possess the form of the wolf. That body, that, and she, she sobs out something, was killed by tiny weapons such as yours.
0: I would yell at her and say, Orcs killed him. If you bothered to listen and check the facts before exploding, you might know this.
3: Guillermo holds out a hand towards her. You know the protocol of the city. What they say happens. They were chased here by a horde of orcs. We defended the city as we do. What they say they brought, they brought. And
0: What business is it of yours
3: you have taken my space, my living, and our life. She sort of hisses and snarls out and points towards the flagpole.
0: So what were. You we were to... given that space! Yeah.
3: You dared kill my that. family for tribute and conquest. And you show it with his penknife mounted upon the flagpole! The what? flagpole! which has been in our families for generations more than your race has been around. You brought the flag back and claimed it in tribute.
0: I would say killing us won't bring him back, and directing your anger at us is unfair. You know who killed him, and it wasn't us.
3: There's almost a stunned silence again. She is muttering under her breath during what to the others is a stunned silence. There appears to be some sort of truth spell or seeking spell that is being cast. The spell is cast and the wolf spies what you have in your hands and gives quite the howl what sounds like one of the saddest sounds you've perhaps heard, but there's no other effect to it. There is a change in countenance as... The spell is cast and you can almost see under the armor and everything, the giantess looking older at the last syllable. It appears that her actual
0: face and everything.
3: She's looking much older. As if she has gone from maybe fifties to sixties, the equivalent therein. And she falls to her knees. And you hear her utter I have been laid low. You can see that she is attempting to maintain a sense of composure. The wolf has turned and started heading back towards her, and you can sort of see it slinking along as if both concerned, but also maybe a bit weary wary of the fact that it you know she's still armed and not liable to know what it was. There was a shared sense of rage, and now there seems to be a very shared sense of sadness and sorrow that is underneath the, um, the whole exchange.
0: I'm going to suggest Guillermo takes her away so she can be consoled and rest.
3: Guillermo looks, your, looks at you and then looks at the rest of the party and begins to move towards her and she holds out a hand and she goes Guillermo, there has been many wrongs this week and two days. Many wrongs indeed. Though I am no longer a citizen, I still have my flag. There is the law within the city, and though I am no longer able to partake of the city, I will obey, in the end, the law. I give my flag to hang under that of these... And she says something. And the rough equivalent that you get is it's some sort of word for what she calls... The little people. And she goes, I have lost all. But, and she points to the flagpole. That must change. It was not by combat. And Guillermo looks back towards the party. And he seems a little surprised. As if... The
1: clerical era in, like, the last 300 years?
3: Something along those lines, yes. It seems to be quite the thing. Um, You can't necessarily tell if your reputation has gotten better with Guillermo. Or maybe he's just a bloodthirsty killer and now he's been assigned the wrong group to lead around <laughs> and, you know, you're going to have some clashes. But um, he sees Xanatari standing out in sort of the come get some challenge and waves her over. Guillermo reaches at a side um, where he has a satchel and a rather large one. You realize there is a bit of magic to this thing because when he pulls the flag from it, you realize that it is far larger than the bag that it came out of. And he hands it towards you. And he looks at her, and he goes, Are you sure? To which the giantess responds, Yes. Adjudicates. Guillermo turns his back entirely on the giantess and the wolf and approaches Anatari at the last couple of feet, stopping approximately three feet from her. And he nods. You have been found to be guilty of having been Accused of an act which you did not commit, saying the you know the party has been found for whatever its original state, it is found to be guilty in a sense of not being cold-blooded killers. The lady has surrendered all unto your trading house.
0: I would take the flag and I would nod to him and I would bow to the giantess and bring it back to Thorn and I would hand it to Thorn. And then I would try to make some space around uh, the area that we are. Uh, I think there's enough... How much space between the Fluffy and the giantess?
3: Mm, about 200 feet.
0: Okay. And I would draw a circle in the ground around Fluffy and gather what the larger remains of his are together into mm-hmm. one area. Mm-hmm. And I would like to roll for resurrection...
3: Your deity works in unpredictable ways at times. Sometimes he is a vengeful deity, but sometimes there are laws of nature which can sometimes best even the greatest deity. In this case, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Having drawn your circle and begun the ritual for resurrecting Fluffy, you begin to feel your magic take hold you can feel that there is the conduit that is opened up between you and whatever realm your your deity resides upon you can feel your goals and aims for what you are attempting to do you can feel the correctness of purpose you are using you know thorn's anguish as an anchor you know
0: i was going to suck the life out of the wolf but go
1: ahead what you That would make me very happy.
3: (laughs) What you are doing is all correct. And you feel what is suddenly this massive force of energy pass through you. And it is something old and ancient. Something that you cannot perhaps put a sense of time to. But something rich in tradition and history and memories. Pretty much what you see flash before you is the life from a perspective of 40 feet or more.
0: So I'm getting Fluffy's kind of five-second flashback at the end?
3: No, you seem to be getting a flashback from a giant.
0: Uh, Can I tell if this is female or male, by the way, from the pictures and images I'm getting? Female. Oh, great.
3: Cool, we're killing the giant. The... The feeling that you get is that the energy is being pushed and not stripped. The entire thing is given. Okay. And for you, time sort of does this weird dilation thing where you're able to see all this. For everybody else, Fluffy gets hit by a damn huge, big bolt of multicolored light. Oh
2: god, it can't, can't get any worse. So, it's sort of <laughs> it's like... Sort of
1: like He's been it's been dismembered,
4: it really won't sort of, get
2: any it's, worse. It's, it's sort. It's it's a fabulous, fabulous like... cremation. <laughs>
4: it's fabulous!
3: It's sort of like the giant multicolored disco ball drops from the sky right on top of where Fluffy's form is.
1: So the gods of the disco are, uh, are just desecrating my, my dead spiders. Oh god, oh god. God, However, the humanity yes, the energy hits, and the
3: form that is fluffy doesn't change in fact, it sort of looks like fluffy's been carbonized not not like the han solo carbonized <laughs> but
0: like like the burger char charcoal okay.
3: kind yeah. of there there's just this boom and fossilized sort of charcoal type type thing mm--hmm from this mass as the giantess and those who may be looking in that direction see her face at peace falls to the ground from the mass that was Fluffy a spider leg comes out of the side of it. Out of the giant? No, out of the, oh, uh, the where Fluffy was there's like, yeah. you know, char- charcoal Fluffy. Out of yeah. charcoal Fluffy.
1: Is it a little tiny spider?
3: No. No, it's actually, uh-huh. it's just, you don't expect to see a leg come out of that spark, but um, it is soon joined by a couple others, and soon you can sort of see Fluffy trying to dig himself out, out so. of what, you know, might be a, uh, a pit or something, um, you know, but it takes him, you know, a minute or two to, to get out and kind of shake itself off.
0: I would turn to Guillermo and I would point to him and to the dead giantess and say that her burial should be paid for by the city because you owe her blood price.
3: And there's there's a long a long moment of pause, and there's almost sort of a I don't know how you could say that a Minotaur would smirk. It's almost as if you have been here before, We're <laughs> just learning very fast.
0: I'm just pissed.
3: And Guillermo bows and backs away. The wolf, you realize, hasn't moved for a while. And that too falls over.
0: Is it... Oh, is it dead?
3: It would appear to be. You see, perhaps, that there is life no more on this present plane for the the wolf. As... Your link, though, persists with your deity's realm for the fractions of moments longer. You see what appears to be a gateway that stands open.
0: Do I have an idea what the significance of this gateway is?
3: It bears the mark of your deity.
0: Can I open the gateway?
3: The gateway is open, and you see what appear to be two large forms and two wolves.
0: Okay. I would look at them, and you said there's two figures? It's a wolf, two wolves?
3: Two two wolves and two, two figures.
0: Okay. I would bid them well and gesture in a, in a way that lets them know a, you know, okay. farewell.
3: The flag, it is either picked up or moves of its own accord to the position of half-mast on your flagpole. The flag is also shrunken to some degree, and is approximately uh, a quarter smaller than the size of your existing flag. The outside of the city remains unchanged. The inside, as you come wandering in, you realize has changed slightly. The overall mapping of the streets seems to make much more sense to you than it did when you entered in the first time. Uh, sort of like if you wanted to find out where to go, you would kind of maybe have something of an innate sense towards that. And it being a labyrinth, sometimes uh cover afforded by a twist or a turn can be of great use, but also having to go out and fish other races or citizens out from the labyrinth can get annoying. So they've sort of it's a perception thing. And you are urged to not lose um your personal flags your small little ones, your small cloths, handkerchiefs type things, lest you you know, if if you step further into the city. The Minotaur addresses you both. We've come to understand through your visit with the Vizier, that each of you is here because of some issues in the outside world. We understand that there may be some assistance gained here.
2: Assistance, or
3: it's at the very least, information. To which information are you searching for exactly? There's a number of brokers we could point you towards.
2: I'm I'm not sure that a specific broker may be of, of use to us. we have sensed trouble... <laughs> To put it lightly, uh, outside of here, and uh, it seems to be tracking back to here. So we're 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 trying to find the the source of said trouble. There's a degree of pause as
3: uh, the Minotaur sort of scratches at his scratches at his face and goes, "Ah, troubleshooters, sources. Yes. Well, there's only one real source that I could quite think of at this point in time, but." What is it? Hmm. He turns around and extends a, uh, a finger towards the um, sun and uh, moon combination orb. That's yeah. Floating in the city, and he tells you that the city right now is in its light period during the day. It's you know sort yeah. of safe. This is where the you know things when it tends to get dark out. For great periods, the mm, the city becomes less of a tourist destination, shall we say, for a bit.
2: What uh, what length of periods are we talking here?
3: I think just simply being part of it for a second is a bit much for most. There tends to be problems
2: when this happens, but um,
3: we're doing like this a scene. you
2: mean like a female giantess trying to kill you or wrongfully thinking that you killed her husband? That's not There's, after dark. There's kind of a, kind of a smirk, and then there's sort of a very
3: solemn, you know, dry toast kind of reply. And the city did apologize and make reparations for that incident.
2: I'm, I'm just pointing out that we've seemed to run into a, a few problems, and it hasn't been dark yet. So I'm just trying to get a, a gauge on on what degree of of, of troubles we'll be expecting.
3: Judging from the moon outside, it should be quite an interesting time, but we're trying to find out if what is happening out there is causing the speed up of towards night in here. It's most distressing. We weren't expecting this for another couple of decades.
2: Oh, so that's the type of period of time you're talking so,
4: about. Yeah. So I, I'd just like to interrupt the Minotaur guy while he's talking to me like, so so, your night in the city lasts for longer than 12 hours, say, like more like maybe 12 years?
3: Oh, the night lasts for a night in the point outside the gates. There, it seems to be a bit of a different perspective as to how long things last. But for here, it's, hmm, it's a good eight hours. Again.
4: So, there's some kind of time thing going on, okay.
3: Gotcha. Oh, that's right. You weren't aware. The uh, time that you were in with the Vizier, Yeah. apparently a week passed on the outside world. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Because that giantess was uh, stalking you guys for a while. The direction of the Minotaur is kind of blunt in that if you want a source, I can take you directly to one. I don't know if this is what you seek, but... We, can, we tend to have a large degree of problems with this one spot. I know Xanatari has something from the drow on her, but do any of you have any trophies of the drow presented?
2: You mean like what a really? giant spider? Well, a <laughs> giant
3: spider. Say. Not presenting anything that would show them as being um, torturers of drow and so forth. Uh, are led further on into the city. We've had many drow attacks. The Minotaur tells you. We've had many, many horrors worse than the drow. The explanation given is that you know many bad things happen, and the city tends to change after each night. Um, What look like past civilizations having added on to parts of the city seems to be the case here. The Minotaur talks about tells starts filling you guys in on some stories from past invasions where the entire party has the entire city has been wiped out to nearly all but one pocket of um, a neighborhood, and largely it kind of sounds like uh, an all-out fight for survival or territory. Um, they
2: uh they uh, invade from uh up above through through the gates.
3: From above, oh no, that's actually to lock us in and keep the stuff out. We're always afraid that they're going to have been especially crafty during the daytime and found a way to waken an old one. I'm taking you to the source of this, where it always starts. Oh, and It always seems to end. The circles of protection that are in the area as well seem to be powering up. A very, very slow degree. The whole place turns into this bunkered kind of fort area. There's no shops or stalls or civilians around. There is a high number of golems, a lot of uh, liveried wearing um, and armored minotaurs, and there's actually still that beholder that you saw earlier. Minotaur kind of mumbles out of the side of its mouth I wouldn't stare at the beholder. It has still a bit of temper to it. You were brought through another series of gates and set into the ground in front of you is what looks like a diamond or metallic lid set into the ground.
2: Like a manhole cover?
3: Sort of like a manhole cover, sort of like, you know, one of the iris, um, opening things on the... What's the Stargate? The Yeah, the Stargate series. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, a le- like, like the, an um... aperture to a lens. Kind of, yes. But yes. it's set, it set into the ground, and whatever is covering the opening is
1: closed. I believe they called it an iris.
3: As you walk in, it appears to be a hundred yards wide, but as <laughs> the magic of your possessions that you have starts to take effect, the portal drops down to about 25 feet.
2: So, yeah. uh, how, how do they get in?
3: You are correct. This is directly into the arse of the Underdark.
4: <laughs> oh, hey, whoa, no. Wait, in, uh, the, in, the Underdark? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know about this. The of the
3: drow. Yeah. Okay. The main I'm... of the spider goddess.
2: Okay. I mean, so, if, I... If, if, uh, if this is the, the sphincter, it, it seems to be closed up tight. How, how do they get through? When
3: it becomes night, it seems that the magics that we have in place always fail. The magics in this place, you can feel you, even, even untrained, you can feel just how old some of these carvings are, some of this magic that is in the room trying to hold um, the stuff at bay.
1: Open a refrain from what I was going to say.
3: There is... Why start now? In addition, (laughs) for each of you, um, whatever this, for the phrase, whatever goes bump in the night, in terms of just that sound that, you know, be under your bed as a kid, that would just utterly terrify terrify you, that is what you are um, starting to hear coming from that portal area.
2: So, uh, if this is, you know, the entry point to, you know, at least a version of of hell basically why is there a city built around it Good question i mean i i could i could understand the 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 fortress and the you know the barriers you'd have to have some sort of line of defense to keep them out but uh why such the level of of uh trade and and merchant dealings residents yeah exactly it it seems to be quite the unlikely uh locale for for such a a bustling center
3: the Minotaur kind of shrugs, and you can tell clearly that he's not one much for trade, but the evils of prophets apparently follow the evils below. There's okay. just such a period of time between night and day that those outside seem to think that a captive audience might be someone to trade with. There is what sounds like the most softest, most delicate, music of bells and chimes as if they were hit by hundreds of thousands of spider legs. Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, or perhaps it's just because of you guys, the room starts to get darker and take on
4: hey.
3: an ever-increasing black light sort of hue. Bert, Bird Bert, uh, Bert is flipping out. Okay. Bird is, uh, he is. Bird is trying to cast as much light as possible, um, and the priest reaches out and touches Mithrin. I have a bit of a theory, if you are willing to work with me and perhaps play a little of their own game, if this is what I think. Okay, yeah, all right. Let's uh, hear what you got to say there, uh, priesty. I'm giving you a spell. I that protects <laughs> you from good. It hey, what now? <laughs> protects you from from good. good.
4: And, and why would I want that? I usually like good things.
3: This spell tends to lead a bit of a taint around the outside edges.
4: Anyway, so this spell is going to make it seem like I'm bad. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Screw. And what is the advantage to this? I mean, I don't understand what, what you're trying to get at, Priest. I don't understand why this is an
3: advantage. Camouflage. Perhaps you'll be one of the few to survive the first minute.
4: Oh yeah, sure. Cast away. Yeah. How long does this last? A
3: while. Hopefully.
4: Are there any? Uh, you know, I don't mean to be wasting time here, but you know, since I have to be the guinea pig, uh, is are there any negative repercussions that are going to happen to me in the long term? No. We'll see. I guess. Uh, I don't know. Anybody in the? I, any of you guys have a problem with
3: this plan?
0: Are you going to parade us like prisoners, or what? Why is this advantageous?
3: You, you are okay. actually—you are actually yeah. being—all of you are being offered
0: this. Oh, I was like, if he's just going to oh, do it. Oh, I thought it was just me. <laughs> yeah, oh, just okay. him.
3: The chimes and bells and so forth continues to increase until there is uh, the realization that either the noise hid the opening of the iris, the sound of it. Or the iris just vanished?
0: Before the iris vanishes, I'm going to put Bert away, real quick. Because that would blow the whole thing.
3: From the opening, much like in the Keep of the Shadowfell, for those who were back there and uh, participated, a large, in this case, giant, white, rotting hand and arm, probably up to maybe six inches past the wrist, emerges holding a bone-covered, decorated, carved-type rod in the air. There is a large number of beholders that suddenly appear within the room and start using some sort of ray upon the portal, as if to try and hold something back or prevent something from happening. The Minotaur, uh, who you're with... Uh, looks rapidly horrified, but then extends out a holy symbol. Really amazingly dark, but you're all able to see. Now I know that uh Thorn has dark lighting, dark vision of his own,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and in the past Cesar has employed some gadget to do this. And then yep. is pretty much just kind of stumbled along um, behind someone who can yeah. see what's going on. But in this case, you're all able to see what is happening. But it's in that wonderful movie cliché of uh, reverse negative, or negative, whatever the hell you want to call it. All of you witness um, a large hand coming through the portal. And it is grasping what appears to be a carved bone rod. This hand is massive. At the moment, what I'd like is, I'm going to go around the table, and... ...basic reactions to this ...and then I'll continue on as things go...
1: ...so, uh... Thorn. So, um... ...yeah, uh... ...I'd... ...probably be... ...visibly shocked... ...I didn't really want to see this... ...giant arm again... ...yeah... ...I'd probably be... ...visibly shocked to see that... ...um... ...see this... uh, ...this thing sort of... ...rising out of the portal... ...and then... ...I think... ...instinctively... ...I would grab my... ...arm... The one that was in the portal last time round, um, to make sure that it's still my arm. Okay. Um, But other than that, I'm I'm pretty horrified. But at the same time, it's like like horrified curiosity if that's oh, no. even a thing. Like, because I think that's there's... that's the one in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> horrified curiosity, yeah.
1: Because there's there's this rod staring at me right there held by the hand of what i can presume to be is some long dead god called orcus even if he's dead at all um with the prize that i'm i'm sort of after so uh yeah i like a, it's this sort of tense sort of i want to climb up the arm but at the same time i don't want to lose my limbs
3: your arm appears to be uh your own it's not suddenly trying to uh grab at your weapons or do anything that's not Visibly planned by you, okay, uh as huh.
0: well, uh it wasn't my favorite thing to see last time, so uh I would recognize it for what it is, and be very surprised because I was expecting a horde of drow to come out of this hole, which is why we kind of did the spell of darkness or whatnot, and uh and now, I feel like we're gonna fight this giant hand and. Um not was not what I was expecting and also kind of tempted to just leave because we're here for the drow and we keep not finding them. It's annoying.
3: Um, well, I, I think you're gonna find the drow in just a, a couple of moments. It's
0: Well, i w I'll just stand back. I mean, what is the hand doing? It's just coming out of this giant hole holding on to the rod.
3: Yeah, it's sort of like a spectral um I don't know, maybe like a spectral calling card or symbol or maybe manifestation of kind of all the oddities that are going along. Just something, kind of some kind of calling card, maybe not a state of Marshmallow Man, but just something is going on here that would definitely attract the attention of perhaps a death god.
0: So you're saying it's, it's like their version of a banner, this wispy, it's a foggy sort of spell. It's not like an actual real hand like last time where it came out.
3: Yeah, this this one, it looks like it is somewhat spectral. Um, it may not actually be whatever's coming through the hole. It may not actually be its banner, but for some reason, uh, whatever is casting this particular thing jumped in on the party or is part of the party.
0: Okay, well then I wouldn't panic so much. Uh, I guess I would just look at it and just wait for whatever's coming behind it.
3: In the negative space, uh, and sort of the negative view that you have, the, it's clear that it's spectral. Uh, maybe to Thorn, it's a little bit more realistic just cause it's sort of the, you know, visual attribute. But, uh, it's got a lot of good detail. It's clearly an illusion, but, um, it's not a, uh, manifested by something pretty puny in power.
2: Cesar? Yes. Um, so, I forget. Uh, well, actually, I don't know. Is it the same size as the one we saw back in the keep? Mm, this one's pretty. This one's
3: bigger. It seems proportional to the uh, other hand. The size of the portal for the other hand versus this one. Okay. That's what she said.
2: It is. Uh, t- 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 Caesar would shoot at the hand to see what happens with his crossbow. Okay. Go ahead, and uh,
3: you using any sort of particular crossbow bolt, or uh, I'll
2: use my standard aggravating force. Caesar, uh, you shoot,
3: and mm-hmm. your bolt passes through. Uh, apparently, does some sort of disruption to whatever field is holding it there, and uh, the image flickers and then sort of fades away.
2: Haha! ha! I killed it. <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? What
3: happens, though, is that um, you are pretty darn close to the Minotaur that is attempting to use uh, its holy symbol. And the light from the symbol versus the negative space that you are able to see, you see from within the uh, portal a number of figures uh, start to climb out the edge and... A few very, well, I guess if you were to look at them under normal light, they would be extremely dark, almost black, um, but they stand out extremely well in the view that you have of bolts or arrows shoot out
1: towards the priest, and he is quickly struck down. Well, basically, um, think of pushing siege ladders off a tower? Okay. Or off a wall, similar concept. I want to, as they're like vulnerable and climbing up over the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to cast encaging spirits to push like the first wave off and then back down the hole where they've got nothing to hold on to. Okay. I I I knock an arrow. Um, being you know the bow is my favorite weapon here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I whisper some words. Um, you know arcane origin. Um, with the, the, the feeling of, of calling or, or summoning. And I let the arrow loose. Um, okay. which, as it's mid flight, goes ethereal and, and smoky. And as it, as it strikes, um, the ground in front of the edge of the, the, the portal, mm-hmm. um, it sort of explodes into this sort of, massive wave of vengeful spirits that push forward and, and, and basically physically push the the creatures that are on the edge um, closest to us, I guess, um, okay. forward and, and out into the middle of the actual portal.
2: Okay.
3: You can see that the room appears to have drastically changed from a couple of moments ago where there were clean lines and an ordered room. It looks like there has been fighting going on in this room now for uh, quite some time. In fact, the priest's body, uh, that the Minotaur that was with you, looks quite desiccated and dead and almost mummified. Thorn, you see him raise his weapon and shoot... Uh, an arrow off in his effects, but Thorn himself actually looks much older, much more uh, skilled and powerful, as (laughs) if he too has been, you know, fighting some sort of guerrilla war for a great period of time here.
0: Okay, and my bastion of mental clarity isn't going off, so we're not having some sort of mental attack or mind assault
3: your, your Bastion of Mental Clarity has gone off a couple of times for something that is in the, uh, the portal, but it is not something that appears to be affecting your perceptions at the moment. What I am telling you is, is that you have the sudden realization that your Bastion of Mental Clarity has gone off a number of times. Okay. are more than what you would presume for the time that you have been there. However, the effects that you are seeing right now aren't what is triggering the Bastion to go off. So you're going to yell to...
0: I believe Cesar's probably closest to me. Okay. Uh, I would yell to Cesar and say, Cesar, something's wrong with our perception of time. Is it just me?
3: Xanatari... Looks like she has been through a war and back. Um you recall seeing the Xanatari uh, from the future, and this looks like perhaps even more of a battle worn but uh very capable person before you.
2: Okay. Um Well uh Oh You you look different.
0: I would uh respond to him by ...throwing up my interrupt and seeing if that makes any difference. If I erect a psychic shield around us... Um, uh,
3: you will find that your effect that you are attempting to generate is actually far stronger than um, you thought.
0: I'm going to attack those drow and try to get to the portal.
3: Okay. And what are you going to do?
0: I'm going to use my hammering wind...
3: So, you have your hammering wind effect, and it's not to say that you are exactly rolling 20s, but if you could have a really powerful hammering wind effect, mm-hmm. something just fully unleash, detail it out, you know, ex- explain what you're doing as you're doing this, and maybe just realizing that you're doing a whole heck of a lot more.
0: Okay. Um, okay. Or- okay. Well, I would raise my short sword, which is... Uh- It is charged with thunder, and it has a thunderous weapon attack, and slam it into the closest drow to me, at the same time gesturing with my other hand and basically just dragging my companions that are within uh, three squares towards me. And I would expect them to only move slightly so that we'd be in position, but instead of that expected uh, movement, we all sort of fly toward the portal uh, (laughs) very surprisingly, and uh, it shocks me as we, we get to the edge and try not to fall in. Uh, Thorn, you've seen
3: that Xanatari looks a bit different, and uh, you don't recall the last time she used the ability uh, being quite that powerful. Along with pretty much blasting um, three drow back into the portal. Fact is, Cesar comes with you all. He's dragged forward, and you realize that he's actually looking kind of younger than he usually does. Hmm. And uh, it seems as Crossbow looks a little bit more tricked out and seems quite a bit more focused and perhaps
1: uh annoyed instead of just old and crotchety. <laughs> I'll give a side glance to to Xanatari and I'll uh mutter in a in a sort of growl, yeah, "You look different." Sort of that sort of cavalier sort of, yeah, I just noticed, but whatever. <laughs> okay.
3: You you sound to yourself, you even sound like you're a little more older and wiser. You're actually kind of feeling like you've got some memories of this fight's just been going on for a really long time and um you know this is yet another counterattack by the drow versus an offense or three or twelve, you're kind of losing count at this point that has been waged upon the the portal. By various mm-hmm. forces that are either alive at one moment and then dead the next. Um, there's been quite a back and forth going on here. And you're sort of feeling like you have abilities and knowledge that are kind of unfamiliar to you.
0: Well, this would, this moment that we are standing on the edge of the portal uh, would be very disturbing to Sanatori because she would have this sort of mix of, you know, swirling memories of what happened before, and then she would want to take a second, assuming that everyone's dead, that's a drow, and they've been pushed back into the portal, uh, not trying to get back at us. We're, we're safe in this moment, yes?
3: Uh, at this particular moment, yes.
0: Okay, and I would want to take a few minutes to review kind of what uh, is going on in my head and try to separate it into uh, sections and uh, as she's thinking back through the battle that she just went through, it seems like uh, just a year of fighting and just realizing at the very beginning kind of where she was, and then as she kept fighting and fighting and, and battling the drought, realizing that she began to sort of get almost tainted by the uh, being that close, you know, physically to them as she's fighting and kind of getting a taste of their mental uh, uh, thinking as well, and began to sort of. Get a taste of their experiences, I guess you could say, and what they'd kind of been through and, and the serious, uh, methodical training that they'd gone through. And you began to get sort of flashes of their past, uh, history and, um, to try to sort through those while she was fighting and, uh, and try to gain some of the skills that they might have as she fought each individual one and try not to be tainted by that knowledge, um, and, uh, gaining in skills with a short sword throughout that time and trying to implement some of the uh, fighting techniques that she'd taken from, directly from the drow and uh, to beat them at their own game, so, so to speak.
3: Okay. Um, you've got a reputation presently, you're aware, that you're both a healer as well as a fighter. And um, a bit of a marshalling general of sorts, uh, that's taken the city defenders that have been present and some have been conscripted in and some have not. Um, you've never really, s- don't recall how reinforcements arrive, just that, you know, in the darkest periods there have been some. Uh, the negative viewpoint never changes, so you you don't see any true light um, since uh, that priest died so long ago. But you still remember what light is.
1: Okay. Um, in the past year of fighting that we've uh, that we've been engaged in, uh, I think Thorn would be a little bit more um, savage in nature, um, less refined, or uh, worried about finesse like uh, Zanatari was. You know, training and and taking uh, skills with her sword, um, sort of becoming more aware of his primal nature um and his link to nature through uh not only his his own form as a a shifter but um the dawning realization that uh he's been bestowed upon a a great gift by uh the nature gods um which allow him to tap into that sort of primal instinct so at this point in time he's he's actually changed a little bit in, in appearance as well um looking more primal, you know, longer claws, uh, on his hands and, and feet, um, discarding boots for, for what appeared to be, um, you know, paws, uh, instead of, you know, the normal bipedal type, uh, feet that, that people would have, um, actually looking a little bit more wolf-like than, than, uh, than he should, um, channeling his, his ancestors, um. And and in this time, he basically come to grips with f- fighting very close up, as well as um, using his bow um, to to summon the the spirits to uh, avenge nature and and all that is uh, abhorrent, or just to destroy all that is abhorrent to nature. So, uh, in this time, you know he's he's. Actually, grown like a well, like his his body has changed in such a way that he's he's grown a muzzle and uh, his 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 eyes are sort of uh, sort of become slitted and and focused, um, just sort of almost having that sort of I guess the ability to hone in on a spot, focus in, and um, it almost seems like the target is close enough to be able to you know pick out. The, the vital point in the armor with the with a bow or um, you know I you know slow time down it in such a, a, a primal instinctual way that you know he can react fast enough to, to block you know an overhanded blow and and sink his, his claws into you know the side to, to rip the armor off and, and then get out of them with a dagger or something mm-hmm. um, so he's, he's taken I guess that real thief rogue aspect that he that he had in his youth and he's applied that to a, a fighting style that that is very primal and, and fluid um very much like uh the waters that are founded in nature like a flowing river and and you know at the same time having the 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 prowler stalker instinct of a of a pack of wolves. so he's a he's he's very much become a, an embodiment uh, uh almost a, a spirit of, of nature in, in his own right um being infused the more that he uses these powers there was a particular time that seems to stick oddly
3: in your memory where an abomination came out from the pit and it was quite a large sort of humanoid kind of like a slime pudding creature but sort of just that amorphous form and it had started to waylay a large number of the defenders in the room. In fact, decimated a good quarter of the defenses uh, before you and uh, some other fighters. And even a couple reserve beholders that had somehow managed to break their way past whatever line is out beyond this room. There's tales of other battles, but it seems that for all intents and purposes, everyone here is entirely focused upon this room. You actually took this group and these beholders and briefly went into the portal in order to repulse the Abomination. You, dragging what appears to be the flimsy skull of the Abomination with... uh, nothing else attached to it in your hands, your other hand beating it with the eye stock of a beholder, are the only things that emerged. You have no memory beyond of what transpired. Merely that for one moment you were pursuing, the next moment you had a victorious trophy in your hand, and the fallen remains of, I guess, what you might consider an ally in the others. Having pushed, been pushed to the absolute edge, been pushed to the breaking point, having sacrificed, and having given such utmost to this final fight, you suddenly realize that you are blinded. Blinded by the source of natural light. You were both there kneeling in front of what appears to be a pit. The room is about you, about you, is lit normally. And I want you to know that, unfortunately, you continue to live. And I'll have to keep telling you stories of how you did so.
4: That's a very intricate
3: sentence. <laughs> Thank you for sharing it. The following is out of character information for everybody, except for Cesar.
2: I'm gonna pull my earphones out. Wave when you're done.
3: No, 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 Caesar. This is in character for you.
2: <laughs> that was quick. No, no. This, this is this is
3: oh. in character for you. Out of character for oh. <laughs>
1: That totally defeats the purpose, yeah he says so. it, says um turning into a an old man in real life now <laughs> wow, no, that was that was a
2: real life natural one
3: managed to not interrupt the introduction like
0: no, you just did. just did no, he was there this he sat down, I was so impressed. he got up and of course left in the introduction,
1: and then he sat down right when he yeah, had but to you, can,
3: you can hear you can hear him sitting there cleaning the uh, cleaning his room and stuff.
1: Oh, I wasn't wow. cleaning my room. I was closing the door. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be interrupted while we record. Mm-hmm. Look, you... who, look who just stuffed up the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Did you turn your <laughs> fax machine <fraction laughs> off? <sighs> Not one. Actually, that reminds me. Hold on. Oh, I need to go do that. No, no, no. no. All Keep all going. I,
0: I've already introduced myself. Us.
1: And that is Tinzian.
0: Horse horse in a <laughs> Wow.
4: <laughs>
3: Gee, that escalated quickly. Sorry. <laughs> Every week I try. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's amazing how often just that word comes up in conversation. Horror. <laughs> I, I really haven't heard that word horror. quite Horror is when we play this game.
1: Horror. I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like, it sounded to me like he said whores.
0: He did. He said whores. Whores worse than the drow. Uh, I'm thank just you. trying to imagine. They, name. They,
1: they
4: do not make Ding. much money, I would imagine.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> the drow even less.
1: Yeah. Hey Sailor, looking for a stab in the guts. <laughs> <laughs> Just constantly
4: little scratching.
3: Yeah. Where they confused Ryder with Rider, <laughs> It didn't go well for yes. advertising. It's, been, be it's been bad. Go, man. I hope you uh I wish you all the luck.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know, but it it go. might be go. So. Ooh, ooh, go. Go, go, Congratulations,
3: yay. congratulations. go, go, thanks, Let guys. Sorry.
2: Alrighty.
0: Bye. <laughs> yay. Look at that. Breaking news live on D4. Crocating to labor.
3: (laughs) See, nothing like a little D&D to make someone go into labor.
4: This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to SignalsMedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?